about evangelism some more. And the reason being that we are hoping to take the gospel in a more deliberate way to the people here in Jasper. And so I want us to help think through some things about evangelism that we may not have been thinking about. Um, And so this morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9, the end of chapter 9. And I'm going to read that for us here. This is the word of God and it is eternally true. Matthew 9 verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray this morning. Father, we are in need of your spirit to help us, and we pray that he would do that. We pray that this would be a help to us this week and throughout our lives. In Christ's good name, amen. I think, generally speaking, what we think of when we think of evangelism is presenting the gospel to someone in kind of a nugget form. Jesus Christ came, died, buried, rose again, now sits at the right hand of the Father. He did that so that we might be reconciled to God. And it's very individualistic. It's very you, God, that's it, that's all we're talking about. Um, But if you look at the point, the purpose of evangelism kind of more broadly, the point of telling someone the gospel is not simply that they might be saved from the wrath to come. It is that, but it is more than that. And it is... Those sorts of things that I want to talk about and teach about for the next couple of weeks, and this is one of them, that when Jesus looked out on the people of Israel, he had compassion on them because they were harassed like sheep without a shepherd. And then he links that idea, sheep with no shepherd, so shepherdlessness, with the laborers who are being sent out. And so what he is doing is he's saying the point of evangelism, the point of you going out and preaching the gospel and healing diseases, which he's about to commission the apostles to do, he's about to anoint them, give them authority so they can cast out demons and go to every town. I'm getting feedback up here. I don't know what that is. Um, He's going to send them out. And the point is that they would bring the lost sheep into the herd. So that they would have a shepherd. What does that mean? Well, a shepherd is a pastor. A leader. A teacher. A father. And you see that theme all through scripture. Um, When Moses, who is the leader of the Israelites in the Exodus, is about to die. They're in the desert. They get to the point where they have to start thinking, all right, Moses is 100 plus years old. He's not going to live forever. How will we find someone to take us into the promised land? And so there's this 
ordination service of the new leader of the Israelites. Um, and it's, it is where we get, if you think back to when I was ordained and set apart here, there was prayer, there was the laying on of hands, all that. That comes from, this is the first place where we see it. Uh, before this, the priests and the Levites are anointed to do service in the tabernacle. But Joshua is not a Levite. He is an Ephraimite. He is not a priest. He is not the Levitic, Levitical order. He is not temple-bound. He's something different. And so in, in Numbers chapter 27... Um, I'm going to start in uh, verse 16, or 15, I'm sorry. Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation, who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Make him stand before Eleazar the priest and all the congregation, and you shall commission him in their sight. You shall invest him with some of your authority that all the congregation of the people of Israel may obey, and he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. So that... so. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, both he and all the people of Israel with him, the whole congregation. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and made him stand before Eleazar the priest and the whole congregation, and he laid hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord directed through Moses. This is an ordination service. This is a commissioning. This is an installation of the leader of the congregation of Israel. And... In here is the first phrase, first reference of this phrase, sheep without a shepherd. That the people of Israel are called sheep. And Moses is concerned, and the people are concerned that they will be without a shepherd unless God does something. And so God institutes a practice of ordination that we still practice today. It's still happening. We don't like to be sheep without a shepherd. You experienced it here. Literally no shepherd. For how long? About two years? Something like that? When there was no pastor here? And Randy and Clyde were the interim pastors without being commissioned? And it was just, what do we, how do we, wasn't good. It's hard. Sheep are not meant to be without shepherds. The other problem that comes is that a lot of shepherds are not good shepherds. This is a major theme of several of the prophets, Ezekiel, uh, parts of Jeremiah, this idea that the shepherds have been making themselves fat, and have been starving the sheep. They haven't been feeding the sheep. They haven't been caring for the sheep. They have not been watching the sheep, and instead the sheep have been scattered. They're bad shepherds. Okay, so now fast forward couple thousand years and you're at the time of Jesus there have been lots and lots of bad shepherds later on when David is anointed king he is called 
a shepherd. So the king is a type of a shepherd. Uh, the priests are called shepherds at various places. The Levites, shepherds, basically anyone who leads the people of Israel at some point in the Old Testament is called a shepherd. And they all get kind of smushed into one thing in the New Testament when the church is instituted, and that is a pastor. And just some free background on words, etymology, pastor and pastier, pasture, are the same Latin root. So they come kind of through two different, I think one's French and one's English, uh, but they're the same Latin root, pasture and pastor, mean shepherd. So pastor is one who pastures the sheep. So all these things kind of get condensed. We don't have a priesthood and a leader and a king and prophets. We have one kind of that does sort of all that called a pastor or an elder. And we're meant to be shepherds. And so at the time of Jesus, though, you have kind of all those things. You have, you know, like Herod the king is supposed to be a shepherd. He's really bad. Uh, you have the basically the equivalent of, of prophets, sort of, in the Pharisees and Sadducees. They're the keepers of the law. They're the ones who are kind of explaining it to the people. They're trying to speak on behalf of God. Um, they're doing a really bad job and have for a really long time at the time of Jesus. Um, you don't really have any prophets for about 400 years. And then John the Baptist comes on the scene, and he points people to the good shepherd. Um. But you have this problem where all the shepherds of Israel, mostly, are bad. And the people of Israel are like sheep without a shepherd. They are harassed and helpless, and the wolves are out, and they want to kill. And Jesus looks out, and he has compassion on the people of Israel. Now think about this. The people, the sheep, were not all faithful sheep. Right? We've talked about this before, but like think back to like the fishes and loaves, the feeding of the 5,000 men plus women and children, so 20,000. He does it. He feeds them. They have 12 baskets left over. The next day he goes across the lake. They follow him over there, and he says, you're just coming to get your belly filled again. They all get mad at him, and they leave. They're not all faithful sheep, but he has compassion on them. Because... Faithful sheep and unfaithful sheep are just one good shepherd away from being in the same flock. Unfaithful sheep, scattered sheep, need a shepherd to go get them, to heal their wounds, and to put them into good pasture with the rest of the flock. So what does that have to do with us today? We are not Israel, Israel as the nation state. We're not going to get into the politics of it, but Israel's gone. Like, it doesn't exist the way it did 2,000 years ago. There are no Pharisees and Sadducees. There is no king of Israel. There is no shepherd above the nation. So we don't have anything to learn, probably, from that, right? But think of it this way. If you, asked, if you were asked, what do you know about your town, your county, in Jasper, Dubois County, Indiana? When we were asking people what they knew about the town of Jasper, do you know what they told us? Three things. German, right? 
Catholic. And what? Lawns. That's right. German, Catholic, and nice lawns. That's it. That's what everybody around us knows us for. We're German, we're Catholic, and we keep nice lawns. And all those things are true. (laughs) Except for at my house. Um, I am technically German, so I get one of the three. Uh, But I'm not Catholic, and my lawn is not nice. Um, But we're Catholic. And really, you you could kind of just substitute in kind of anywhere in the country of the United States... Christian, so to speak. Now we're not, it's not as though everyone believes in the resurrection of the Son of God and are actual Christians, but we have this kind of ethos, even now amidst all the insanity of the sexual revolution of the last 20 years, even now people have an ethic, a sort of Christian-y kind of thinking. And you see it come out, even though they try not to let it ever come out, when things like, Russia, who is a totalitarian sort of thing. The freedom that we have is a Christian freedom. People don't like it when countries say no to freedom. And freedom, just so you know, is a Christian idea. It's just Christian. Um, That's why, like all the other countries that aren't Christian in some essence, they're not free. China and Cuba and Argentina and all these countries are not free because they're not Christian. Okay, so now think, now think. Jesus had the whole nation of Israel who were mostly unfaithful, scattered sheep all over with bad shepherds. Jasper, Dubois County, the United States, wherever you want to go, are a bunch of people who are half aware of Christianity and are scattered all over the place with a whole bunch of bad shepherds. It is like a, here's what it looked like then, and pretty much here's what it looks like now. The world, the Western world that we live in, is very similar spiritually to first century Israel. There's a whole bunch of people who are somewhat aware of the God of heaven and something about Jesus, but they don't know really anything And they have been taught really poorly by all their leaders about anything kind of pertaining to it. It's And our modern-day Pharisees, Sadducees, are all the people on TV and radio who kind of preach all sorts of weird things. They're like, this thing and that thing. And you're like, none of this is true. Pharisees, Sadducees, what are you even talking about? We are in the midst of the same sort of thing. There are a whole bunch of people across this county who are scattered, who have some idea of the God of heaven... And they are sheep without a shepherd. And so when we think about evangelism, we're not just getting people to believe in the resurrection and then we're done. We want them to have a shepherd. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send workers out into the field for his harvest. The workers are the shepherds. That's what I'm here for. Now this is a dangerous sermon because... Let's just be honest, any one of you could probably come up with several reasons why I'm not a good shepherd all the time. So I'm a little nervous. But we do have a good shepherd who is good all of the time. And I believe in him. And so even when I fail to shepherd you well, and I sin against you, and I say things that aren't helpful or good, we have a good shepherd. 
who is always good at his job and who never says the wrong thing. And hopefully, when I fail, you will trust in him. But the reality is, God entrusted sinful men to be his shepherds, his under-shepherds for the people of Israel. And he did it all the time, since the beginning. Joshua and Moses were not perfect men. But they were shepherds of the nation of Israel. Right? Moses, famously, didn't get to go into the promised land because of his sin. God said, speak to the rock. Moses was angry, struck the rock, and God said, therefore you will die in the desert with the rest of the people. Joshua is one of the guys who we don't have really any dirt on. There's really no story about him that makes him evidently a sinner. But here's what we do know. He was a man. And all men everywhere are sinners. There is none righteous. No, not one. And so Joshua, too, was not a perfect man. But he was the appointed, anointed, ordained, installed, commissioned shepherd. So when we're thinking about evangelism, and we're thinking about what is it that we're trying to accomplish here, we can go lots of ways that are not good. We can turn evangelism, which is often what we do, into just this individualistic thing that happens and then nothing else kind of happens. That's not good. Or vice versa, we can turn it into this, like, it's just important to get people here, that the shepherding part is kind of secondary, But the reality is, shepherding is the whole point of evangelism. It's the whole point. If you're not aiming to have people in the flock, you're not aiming at the right thing. And that's really important for us to understand. Because we're not trying to just get a bunch of people to believe. Because this is true. Believing without a shepherd, just means they're scattered somewhere without a shepherd. And what do sheep do when they're scattered? They die. So if you're, the point of evangelism is just to get someone saved, and then just kind of leave them where they're at on the side of the mountain somewhere, they're still going to die. Like, and it's probably going to be a rough death. They might make it. The church has believed and confessed for thousands of years, including if you go all the way back and call Israel the church, that there is no ordinary possibility of salvation outside of the body. There just isn't. That's the whole point. Sheep scattered is a bad thing. We don't want them to stay out there. We want them to come in to be fed and pastured. We want them to know that we will protect them from the wolves. That they are safe in the pen. That we will lead them beside still waters and good food. We don't want, we share the gospel and you just kind of stay out here somewhere. We want in. And yet, so much of the church is content to not be part of, or so many believers are content not to be part of a church. It's a perennial problem. It has been, not just in our generation, but throughout time. Men always find excuses to not be part of the flock. And the men who make the most excuses to not be part of the flock are the ones who die in the wilderness. It's not good. 
when I preached on it's not good for man to be alone. And I made a very side note that it wasn't just Adam and Eve together, but it was the idea of society. Like they were going to have kids and it would become a family who would become a tribe. Would become a... It's not good for a Christian to be alone. It's not. It's bad. And so when Jesus says this, he, has, he looked and he saw the crowds and he has compassion on them because they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Therefore, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Pray earnestly to the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The point is the sheep getting into a flock. That's the point. And so we can't be content in two weeks to just talk to a bunch of people and then kind of go our merry way and think we did our great job. We have not succeeded in evangelism until people stay in the flock. And so the goal is not just to get people to talk to us and then maybe share the gospel and and then go their merry way. The goal is here, with you. And that's the other side of things, right? So the other side of shepherding, besides feeding, is keeping the sheep from being mean to one another, right? This is also a constant theme. If you go back again to Moses, the shepherd of the people of Israel, this is, this is his problem that he has to figure out. In Exodus 18, starting in verse 13. The next day, so he's, some things have happened. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning until evening. And when Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning until evening? And Moses said to this father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. And when they have a dispute, they come to me. And I decide between one person and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you're doing is not good. And if we just stop there, you might think, what you're doing and deciding disputes is not good. But that wasn't what Jethro was saying. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them known the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure. And all this people also will go out to their place in peace. That most of Moses' day, as the shepherd of Israel, 
was conflict conflict resolution. That's what he did from morning until evening, is there were fights among the sheep. This is not fights from outside. This isn't a wolf coming and trying to eat a sheep. This is a sheep getting mad at the other sheep. Now, I don't know much about shepherding, and I really don't know much about pasturing, and I really don't know much about cattle. But I do know this. There are times when they are not nice to one another. And most of those animals, if they get blood, like in their mouths from attacking, they get kind of crazy. Like, it drives them nuts. They kind of go even more berserker. We, as a body have to remain at peace with one another so that when others come, scattered sheep, we don't bite them and scare them off. We are actually good sheep. And so part of the main duty of a pastor, and then as the church grows, of the elders, right, is to keep us at peace with one another. And there are all kinds of reasons we're not at peace with one another. And almost all of them, at the end of the day, are petty reasons. And we all know this. The reason we fight is hardly ever anything worthwhile. We get mad at each other for little petty things all the time. And then we snap and bite and yell and get mad. And then we have to be resolved. We have to come back together. We have to be peaceful with one another. And so, even though it is the job of the shepherd... To help do this, it's your job also to help do this. And so it is a two-way thing that has to happen for evangelism to be successful. The shepherd has to be there to help feed and nurture the flock, to help resolve conflict. And the sheep have to be willing to be resolved and love one another. Both of those things, both of those things are necessary so that people who come, who we tell the gospel to, who we hope and pray, will know the Lord as their Savior, will have a flock. And the flock, the point of the flock, the point of the shepherd, is to lead the flock to the good land, to the land flowing with milk and honey, to the good pasture of the Lord. When uh, Simon Peter, who denied Jesus three times, was restored by Jesus on the shore of the sea, what does he ask Peter three times to restore him? Peter, do you love me? Peter says, you know I love you. Then what does Jesus say all three times? Some variation of, feed my sheep. And then Jesus asked him again, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Tend my lambs. Jesus asks again, Peter, do you love me? And Peter is sad because the Lord has asked him again. And he says, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. That is the point. Church is not the secondary part of the gospel. It's not an addition to the gospel. It's not an aside to the gospel. It's not something that is optional to the gospel. Without it, there is no gospel. Because without it, the sheep will just be scattered on the mountain and die, alone, eaten by wolves. 
We have a job. We are to do something. And the main thing that we are to do, even as shepherds, right? So remember, this. Jesus is saying this to the 12 apostles who he's about to commission to go out and evangelize, basically, the nation of Israel. He says uh, later on in chapter 10, These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He's like, go get the lost ones. It's a commission to evangelize the lost sheep of Israel. And even though all these things that I've talked about are implied with what a shepherd is, and what the lost sheep are, and why it matters, what does he actually say to the apostles who are the main shepherds? The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly. So we have talked about all the things that we do to be the shepherds, to be the sheep, to be the flock, to welcome people into the house of God and the family of God. But underneath all of it, beneath the whole thing, Beneath the apostles themselves, who are the twelve. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray earnestly for this. That really, the most important work is not just have a shepherd, be good sheep. It is... Pray earnestly. When you go back and you read things in the Old Testament, like Psalm 23, right? What are the Psalms? They are prayers, right? The Psalms are prayers. A Psalm of David, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows, and surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. These are prayers for us to pray. They are petitions to God to be our good shepherd, to keep us. The whole of the Bible, when we return it to God is a prayer for help in time of need. And underneath it, right, the, what, the thing we're praying for, help in time of need, is an earthly help. So God is not so far away from us that he leaves us to, like, just ethereal help. Just spiritual comfort that kind of just floats in the ether of the world. But how does God actually help his people? Physically, through 
people. And he does it primarily through shepherds and sheep. That's how he helps his people. So we're praying for the Lord, send out workers into the harvest. We're praying earnestly because we believe that our God does not just magically help people, but he uses actual people to do it. Us. We. And so we're praying that God would send out workers into the harvest, and we're praying that we would be those workers, and we're praying that we would be helpful, and we're praying that God would help us do the helpful things, and we're praying that God would be seen in us, and we're praying that we would be bold in our witness, and we're praying all kinds of things like this all the time. Prayer, prayer, prayer. And so whether you come on Wednesday or not, and I know there are reasons why some of you cannot be here on Wednesdays, so... Pray. Pray earnestly. We are not good enough, awesome enough, perfect enough to be the shepherds in the flock for all the people of Jasper. But God is good enough. And we need him to do it. And so we must pray. We must humble ourselves and say, we cannot. You must We cannot, you must, and plead with him. Because we want the lost sheep around us who have some idea of God, but not a good picture of God. And they've probably been in churches who did not help them see what and who God was and did. Have compassion on them. They're sheep. They have been scattered. Therefore, pray earnestly. Let's pray now, and then we'll take the supper together. Father, we are very gracious, or we are very grateful this morning to know that you see and you have compassion. And so, Father, we pray that our hearts would be moved with compassion, that we would see those people around us who are aware of some things that are true about you, but yet live in darkness and are scattered across the mountains. And we pray, Father, that you would, by your Spirit, by, with your help, help us go out and find the lost sheep and bring them in. And we pray, Father, that you would raise up people in our midst who are passionate about it. And we pray, Father, for the future of our church and our presbytery, that shepherds would rise up from within us. People who, men who are called and commissioned and sent to be shepherds in the fields and they are ripe for the harvest. Help us to have faith to do that. Help us to do the hard work of that. Help us to not be satisfied um, with bad shepherds. But Father, give us good ones and help us to remain steadfast in our task. Help us to pray for one another that we would do these things. And Father, we plead with you that you would lead us in good paths and restore us in good ways and that we would hope for the day we'll be with you eternally, celebrating in the new flock, in the new kingdom, under the good shepherd, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, whom we love. Amen. And so that brings us this morning to...
table. And one of the ways that God feeds his sheep is at the table. And we are often reminded of this in Scripture that this table is
and the poor people were not. And the poor people and the rich people were fighting about it. And they're both equally guilty. Rich people are guilty for not being generous and poor. And the poor people are guilty for being mad at rich people for having all the good stuff. And like, I need some of that. Does that sound familiar? Do we maybe do that in our society? The poor people are like, you have too much stuff. Give me all your stuff. We do that still. And is it still a problem? Rich people are like, it's my stuff. I worked for it. You ain't getting none of it. Also really mad. Because you got nothing except for what the Lord gave you. Now think about this. This was happening at the table that was supposed to bring the church together. It was supposed to be the most unifying part of the fellowship. Eating together. And they were fighting. Right in the midst of mad One of the things that I have found to be the most helpful in the last decade plus of my life is the freedom to admit that we are sometimes mean to each other. And that everything is not fine on the surface. But there are things happening under the surface, everywhere, all the time. And to not acknowledge them just lets them fester and boil until at some point they explode. This happens in churches all the time. You have seen it happen. You're like, I don't know what happened in that church. Everything was going fine. They had 100 people. And all of a sudden, there's this huge fight. And everybody got mad at each other and left. Well, no. That didn't actually happen. People have been mad at each other for a decade or two decades. They were mad that at that one time, at this one place, you moved my chair, you sat in my pew, you did this, you did that, you moved this piece of furniture, you didn't play the hymn I wanted on this Sunday, and they just kind of. For one or two Sundays, they're really mad, and then they just let it simmer for two decades. Until the youth pastor comes, and somebody gets mad, and then church blows up. Now, what does that have to do with even anything I was talking about this morning? We must be aware of one another and our sins against each other. Because if we're not, we could have the most successful evangelism campaign the world has ever known. We could be twice as big as Billy Graham himself. We could make this church full to the brim of thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And if under the surface, we have not admitted that we sometimes actually do sin against one another. Sometimes, God will make it explode. And he will scatter the sheep. Because of it. Because of our sin. So when we take this one, I want you to be thinking about what it really means to live under the light of the gospel and what it means is not. Everything's fine all the time. It doesn't mean that. What it means is we still have problems, but God is good. And we're trying to figure out a way to be reconciled through the midst of our problems. And we do that visibly every couple of weeks by saying, we're going to eat the same meal, we're going to drink the same cup, and we're going to say, despite the fact that I was mad at you last week, we're going to sit down together and figure this out. So this table is not supposed to just be the five minutes or 20, depending on how long I talk, 
on a Sunday morning. This table is meant to remind you to make peace with among yourselves. Make peace. To not invite and devour. To be not be odds with one another. To not hold a grudge. To not be mad. To say what you think. To confess your sins. To forgive one another. To bear with one another. And then to say, we're one in Jesus. Hallelujah. It's not of us. He saves us. And that's why we take it. So with all that, let's begin uh, on this sermon this morning. Paul writes to us and says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that on the night that our Lord was betrayed, he gave thanks, and he broke it. He said, This bread is my body, which is broken for you. Do this and remember this. In the same way, also after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you declare the Lord's death until he comes. So, amen, bread. Father, we are very grateful for your Son, Jesus Christ, who saves us, cleanses us from our sin, and this morning, Father, we are reminded that we are sinners in need of cleansing. We pray, Father, that you would help us to be reconciled with one another, that we would be a flock that is marked out by our love for each other, and our love is meant in confessing our sins and forgiving. We pray that this would be true as our church, by your grace, grows. And the flock increases. We pray that you make us faithful. In Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and take one. And we'll eat together. Again.
Wine is on the outer ring, juice is the two inner rings. Closing him. Um, number 311. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Let me pray for us as we stand. Father, we are grateful this morning for your Son, our Good Shepherd.